0: And so, please, uh, if you're there, Matthew chapter 4, verse four uh, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 23. This is a note of Jesus' ministry. And then we will pick it up in Acts with Jesus' continued ministry. Matthew 4, verse 23. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee Now turn over to Acts chapter 9, please. Starting at verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there, among them all, he's preaching the Gospel, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed and immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to to him urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with him. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And He gave her His hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, He presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And He stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Picture Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which you think of Sea of Galilee, it's a lake. It's about the size of Lake Lanier if you just didn't have all of the long you know, winding parts, but if you just put it in one big body of water, it's about that size. And so he's eating some fish with for breakfast with his disciples. And then he tells them, let's go for a walk. And they head north. Now the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. So going north is going up, like significantly and quickly up. And so they walk about 25 miles north. That's marathon distance essentially. And most of that trip, these disciples are, are walking in a place that they have never ever set foot in their lives no self-respecting good jewish boy would ever go into this territory it's not that far but it's it's like another world where they're walking and jesus takes them right into what we would say enemy territory into this overtly pagan place region and as they walked and climbed in elevation that air would have cooled van and i had the opportunity in March to be over there. And we, we went from the Sea of Galilee, um, got on the bus, and it was high 70s. I mean, you're sweating, and it was so sunny and all of that. And we go like 20 minutes up north. And we stop, and, and they, they want us to kind of look across. There's a place where you can look across the border into Syria. And and so he says, before we get off, make sure you grab a coat, because it's going to be cold when we get off. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We stepped off that bus, and it was cold. because We've been going up. And you kind of knew it and your ears were popping and all of that. And so it changed. And so this is what the disciples are walking this. So as Jesus and the twelve, they go along. There's this massive Mount Hermon that would come into view probably halfway in that journey. It's got snow on it most of the year. I mean, so we're, we're, this is different than 700 feet below sea level, now snow-covered mountain. And so and at the foothills of, of Mount Hermon, there is this small city called Caesarea Philippi. In honor of Caesar, in honor of Philip the Tetrarch who ruled that area at that time. And so there are these four headwaters that, that um, start up north in Israel and they merge to form what becomes the Jordan River. And the largest and most eastern of those headwaters, it starts right here at Caesarea Philippi. There's just, it's this incredible source of this cold, fresh spring water coming out of that area. and so. But this was an area, it was inundated with pagan temples. The disciples would have walked along and seen these inno- ornate, elaborate temples to these uh, false deities as they walked through that area. For centuries, this was one of the most important seats of Baal worship. And, and, and a derivation of, of, of Baal was the, was the God Pan. And in particular, in Caesarea Philippi, this was, this was the God they worshipped at that time. There was this ornate shrine at, at this spot in Caesarea Philippi with this um, little grotto that's still there today. I meant to include pictures and I'm so sorry. I'm kicking myself this morning as I was sitting down here. I forgot to put pictures up here because it's, it's so powerful. But there's this cave opening that's probably as big as this ceiling. So this picture of this enormous uh, cave and this spring coming out of it, just lots of water like a, a stage just coming out of it. this is what it'd been like in Jesus' day. There's an earthquake that happened centuries ago, and so the spring kind of has been diverted, so you can actually walk into the cave now. But then right off to the side, there's this carved grotto into the side, and that's where the god Pan was set. And the worship of this God was horrendous. Every detestable act you can possibly conceive of connected with, with pagan worship, this was taking place there. Child sacrifice. About every kind of sexual act you can imagine. This was a fertility cult. So you can just conceive of what this involved. And so right here, in this this cave, you know what the cave's called? The gates of Hades. The gates of hell. This was seen by pagans as this is kind of the entry into the underworld for the gods. So this is where the gods in this fertility cult, this is where they go retreat in the winter. So they go through here. I'm trying to swipe a piece of paper. That's how bad it's become, people. Mike said I would do that, and I didn't I joked, I laughed, but I just did it. And so, sorry, humor is needed this morning. And so it's a beautiful place today. Fertile, green, just I mean water, you just want to jump in and swim in. It's just beautiful. But this was the heart of paganism in Jesus' day, in that region. And what does Jesus do? He takes these good Jewish boys from Galilee right there. They had to be so uncomfortable, so nervous. They had to feel so dirty and unclean and ashamed to even be there. That This is not something they could go back and tell their friends and families where they've been that day. And Jesus takes them all of this way to make a point. To, To ask a question. This is a teaching moment. To ask a question that's going to lead to a confession. And He stands in the shadow of these altars to these pagan gods grotesque worship and and with this massive rock outcropping he's standing there in front of this and he asks the question who do the people say that i am you know this story i always thought this was just this is just like they're walking in their normal areas just around galilee and then you realize where he's taken them who do you say that i am the disciples, you remember, start throwing out. Some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus looks him in the eye and says, but you, who do you say that I am? Well, Peter. He responds. You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. And we don't, we're not there to slap our Peter on the back. No, but what does Jesus say? Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And I tell you, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, you think of where he is when he's saying this. I mean, it's this enormous rock outcropping for one. The gates of Hades right there in this heart of paganism. He's not standing at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem saying, hey, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. He's standing in enemy territory and he's saying, listen, nothing is going to stop this. I'm going to do this. And he's driving on the point that he will keep his promise because of who he is. Because you are the Christ, the Son of the living, the living God. So, Nothing can stop Him. Nothing that comes against the church or against Him will ever make that promise null and void, brothers and sisters. Now fast forward. Acts 9. You thought I'd never get there. So same Peter. Same Peter that made the trip with Jesus up to that area where he heard that promise. Same Peter who witnessed Jesus work powerfully so many times through seemingly hopeless, impossible situations. Same Peter who was there with Jesus in Matthew 4 and heard Him preach the Gospel of the Kingdom and heal every disease, and and, and He saw time and time again lives that were destroyed, lives that were devastated, lives that were written off as hopeless, redeemed and restored completely. He saw this again and again and again. St. Peter who was commissioned by Jesus to to be His witness, to make disciples uh, wherever He goes, knowing that Jesus would be with Him always. With us always. Same Peter who was there for the powerful birth of the church and the, the, the Lord did that in response to his preaching, saw thousands turn to Christ in faith. And yet it's the same Peter who's witnessed all kinds of challenges, all kinds of obstacles, all kinds of setbacks for the church. He has seen sins in the church that, that threatened to disrupt it. And he's seen conflicts in the church, threaten to bring it to nothing. He's seen threats against the church from the outside. He's seen persecution of the church. He's seen all of this, and yet he's seen Christ's promise hold true. His promise: I will build my church. Nothing is going to stop it, even through flawed instruments like Peter and countless others. That's the same Peter we meet in Acts chapter nine. That's the same Peter, and he and Jesus is alive and he's present and he's continuing to work. That's the message here. So listen, just to kind of draw it in with us. Some of us are tend to be more, uh, you know, we use optimist, pessimistic. Some of us are more pessimistic. I I don't love those categories, but a more extreme version of pessimism is fatalism. Fatalism says it's that belief and oftentimes it's that feeling that, that the way things are is the way things are going to be forever. The bad, the awful stuff that I'm going through or that we're going through, this is just the way it's going to be. This is just the way I am. This is just the way my marriage will be. This is just the way my kids are going to be. This is just the way our church will be. This is just the way society is going to be. How could it ever change? If anything, it's just gonna get worse. It can't, nothing's gonna change this. Now, the right response to that is not, you need to be positive. Think happy thoughts. Paint happy little trees and that kind of thing. And that's not enough. That's not enough. It's gotta be deeper than that. It's gotta be deeper. But one of the messages of Acts it is this blow to fatalism. It is this blow because why? Jesus isn't dead. He's alive, church. And 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 He's risen. He's he's not aloof. He's present and He's working. He's not weak. He's powerful. And He's not silent. He's speaking and He's calling. He's not disinterested. He's he's fully engaged and fully involved in what's going on. That's what Acts is all about. It's the continuing work of Jesus Christ. Remember the Gospel of Luke. This is what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts is what Jesus continues to do and teach through His church. Through his spirit, and so he continues to be a factor in our world. He continues to be a disruptor of brokenness and hopelessness and dysfunction. He continues to break in and surprise his people, his church. I mean, just consider what we looked at a few weeks ago. Last time we were in Acts uh, when I was in vacation, but remember Saul's persecution of the church after uh, after Stephen's uh, martyrdom, and so this. Acts chapter 8 verses 2 and 3 a great persecution arose against the church and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria Saul was ravaging the church entering house after house he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison put yourself in the shoes of one of those early believers and you're living that reality what are you thinking this is hopeless i mean who are you going to look to you're going to look to the government for help there's no support there's no legal There's no legal recourse here. There's no you can't appeal to the courts, say this is unfair, this is unjust. We have religious liberty no, nothing. There were no safeguards like that. All of the power structures political, civil, religious, they were all against you, or at best indifferent to you. Wouldn't that feel hopeless? The most powerful one of the most powerful men in Judaism is this is his mission to wipe you out, and the government's supportive of this. How could this ever change? Nothing could turn this around. The, the powers of evil are just too great. This is too much. It's the, the, the church can never know peace and stability again. That's the way most of us tend to think, right? There's those few really um, believing, hope-filled people among us. Thank God for them. And may your tribe increase. But the message of Acts is this. It's because of who Jesus is, He can turn things around. His plans aren't thwarted. He's not ever put in a bind that he can't get out of. He's not limited. And what can he do? And so what does he do? Out of nowhere, he takes the the main opponent to the church, the lead persecutor of the church. And what does he do? He totally turns him around. I mean, he could have just like taken him out and had him killed and that would have been helpful. But no, he doesn't do that. He's not He saves the guy and he sets him out as this, as this missionary force to be reckoned with again we read that and we know that but you think this is incredible how could this script have been written by a human being if you were in that moment you would have never imagined a scenario like that church never and the and the worst enemy of christianity becomes the strongest advocate for it and now he's the one that's being persecuted i mean they are, they turn their guns on him fast and the hunter becomes the hunted and 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 so what's the upshot of all this acts chapter 9 verse 31 again you got to read this and there's just ought to be shock for us. This is the verse right before we started. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit had multiplied. No one could have ever imagined that would have happened. I just, I, some of us need to be reminded of this truth. I promise we're getting to these verses. We're going to be there. We're going to see it. This is an illustration of this truth though. Fatalism can creep in our hearts. And the way we think about our lives individually as a family, the way we think about our church and the difficulties we face together, and we're going through a very difficult time as a church and it's easy to despair. And it's easy to fall into cynicism and pessimism and even fatalism. It's easy to become so confused and so hurt and so angry that we just give up combat those realities with maybe positive thinking, oh, this is no, it's bad. It's hard. Or just walking away or raging. I think the Lord has a timely word for us in this passage, and I'm thankful that in His providence, He's put us off until now. And it's not a complex word. It's a simple passage, but it's powerful. And it's pointing to the fact that Christ, brothers and sisters, is always always present and he's always working and he's and he's always always at work and he's and he's always caring and he's always able to do turn things around even in hopeless situations now i don't say that as you know to suggest that you know you or i are promised you know personal health and prosperity or that even as a church, we're guaranteed that our future is going to be rosy and long or anything like that. I don't know what the future holds. I really don't. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I can, I can tell you that, uh, that the Lord is, is, is not done with His, with His church and with your life, and His grace is enveloping us even now in this dark valley. That's why I think these stories in Acts 9 are recorded. And, and this is not just a literary segue. If you're reading through Acts, what, what is this for? This just this seems kind of random. Is this, this just, okay, we're talking about Paul. Well, now back to Peter. And so this is how we get back to Peter. I don't think so. It's not an incidental detail here. This is a reminder that Christ is continuing to work. This is, uh, the, the book of Acts is written to, those early ter- to the early church and to us to remind us that Christ is continuing to work graciously and powerfully and purposefully through the church and the world. And so verse 32, Peter's traveling around during this time of peace. He's preaching the gospel where he goes. He ends up with visiting some Christians who live kind of north and west of Jerusalem in, in a suburb of what would be modern day Tel Aviv if you've been in that area. And in this, in this town of Lydda. And so this group of believers probably ended up there because they fleed from persecution in Jerusalem. Or maybe it was from Philip's preaching in that area. We don't know. But in any, in any case, he goes there, he's with these believers, and he finds a paralyzed man named Aeneas. And just imagine, I mean, the details that Luke gives us here, he's paralyzed for eight years. Eight years. Just consider what that was like, in, particularly in that time. But even in our own day. He, he was he was born able to run, jump, play, do stuff that everybody can do. And then one day something happened. Maybe he fell sick. Maybe he had a bad... Injury, accident, we're not told. But he became paralyzed and bedridden and his life turned completely for the worst. And the days turned into weeks. And the weeks turned into months. And months into years. And now, So now for eight years, he's still bedridden. He can't wiggle his toes, stretch his legs, kick his feet, anything. He's com- he can't do anything for himself. And this has become his new normal. Until what? Until Jesus. Jesus. Through Peter, breaks into the story of Anais' life and turns everything around for him. And he heals him. So we read, verse 34, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed, and immediately he arose. It's crazy, isn't it? Put yourself as those that were witnessing this, put this of those that are experiencing this, Aeneas. What can we go on? i got to be quick. Verse 39, he goes from Lydda down to Joppa, so he keeps on going towards the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 12 miles away. He's summoned by some disciples there, and he goes down there, and there's this godly, generous, believing lady named Tabitha, or Dorcas, who's died. She got sick, and she died. And so... He's there and rather than bury her immediately, they, they wash her body, they put it in the upper room so people can gather and, and they send some runners to get Peter. So Peter gets there and it's this sad but very beautiful and touching scene, isn't it? They're, they're standing around this, this body and, and what do these ladies do? These widows who are gathered there, they're, they're mourning and they're showing Peter the, the garments that she made for them. She made this and this not this beautiful and... She was such a. She cared for us. I mean, you think you remember earlier in Acts when all that was required to, to figure out in Jerusalem how do we care for these widows and people are being overlooked? What the church had to put all of the structure and organization to. This lady was just doing. She was caring for the widows. Not one of them were going on knees were going unmet. She was giving out of her resources. It's a beautiful picture. So Peter, though he ushers them outside, he goes back in with this cold, dead body, dead for hours now, and he kneels down and he prays. I don't know how long he prays, if it was a short sentence prayer, if it was hours. I don't really know. It's not told. But what is prayer? You think about what is prayer? It's an expression of faith that that Jesus is alive and he's working today. We're saying that you can do this. You're you're able. You're not hindered. You're you're still working. And so it's it's the antidote to unbiblical, unchristian fatalism. Prayer. And so then, Peter has some sense that Jesus has answered his prayer and he turns to her body and says, Tabitha, rise. And she opens her eyes. And she sees Peter. And she sits up. And I think, what's the appropriate facial expression in a moment like that? that? What would that have been like? And Peter gave her his hand, verse 41, and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive what's going on here Jesus is stepping into the story of Tabitha's life the hopelessness of it and he's turning it around she lives both of these scenes are about the continuing presence the powerful work of Jesus in the face of seemingly impossible circumstances that's what this is for I'm convinced when all hope seems lost Jesus can completely turn things around and and there's a couple reasons why I say this this is I think the point of the passage it's the way that Luke records it. So, one, the miracles Christ does through Peter here, they mimic, I mean, almost word for word, Jesus' own miracles in his earthly ministry. So, you remember, you can note the healing of Aeneas. What does that remind you? That paralyzed man. Remember the guy lowered through the roof? What does Jesus say to him? Same thing take, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Just like Peter says to Aeneas. And the parallels even closer in the case of Tabitha. You you compare that to the miracle of the raising of Jairus' daughter. Remember in Luke chapter eight, it's it's astounding, honestly, because same thing Jesus did: sends everybody out, goes back in, prays, and 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 speaks to the dead girl and says rise. And and in Peter, it, excuse me, if Peter spoke to Tabitha in Aramaic, which he most likely did, then there would have just been a one letter difference between what Jesus said to Jairus' daughter. In Luke 8, it's Talitha. Right. Talitha cum. In what Peter says, Tabitha cum. One letter. And then, and then Jesus took Jairus' daughter by the hand. It's exactly what Peter does. So, I mean, whether Peter's conscious of this or not, this is the way Luke's recording because he wants us to see this. This is Christ continuing to work. It, it, we see it in the way that Luke places special emphasis on the fact that it's it's the power of Jesus that's at work here. I mean, it's very explicit in the first one. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. It's not I'm healing you. Christ is healing you. He knows that he's not doing this himself, and and it's I think it's even more powerful in the case of uh, Tabitha. He kneels by her, prays by over her body, and he asks the Lord to do what he knows he's perfectly unable to do in himself. He does not have the power. And and yet, and yet the, Lord is, the Lord heals her. Jesus heals her. We see this in the word that He uses in commanding both Aeneas, who's not dead, and Tabitha, who is dead, to get up. It's the same word that's used in Luke's account of Jesus rising from the dead. Three times in Luke's uh, resurrection account, uh, we see the same word. Rise. It's the risen Christ who's in those rooms. There's resurrection power at work here over death and over everything. There's an emphasis on the fact that who's given credit for these miracles? Do they hold Peter up and hoist him on his shoulder and say, ah, Peter, the miracle worker. What do they say? They turn to the Lord. Jesus. They look to Him. They're not They're not celebrating Peter. They're celebrating Christ because they understood that what was happening here. In verse 35, all the residents of Lydda and Sharon, I think that's, some hyperbole, but I mean, just a massive number of people, they turn to the Lord. And so in the case of Tabitha, those ladies, they shed tears of joy. They probably sing. They probably dance. They, and then they go out proclaiming the Lord's word. And what happens? Many believe in the Lord. Verse 42. I just say, church, this is the word. Jesus is just as much alive and at work today. He is, just as Jesus is, just as present by His Spirit today, and we know this, but we don't know this, do we? Where we 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 don't live with this consciousness of that the Lord is present and He's and He's with us and that He will help us and that He and that He provides for us and that it will correct us. We don't live our lives. We don't live as as a church, brothers and sisters alone. Jesus is always with us by the Spirit. These great miracles, they're they're these dramatic, unusual, kind of one-off demonstrations of this tremendously uh, presently true fact. So we're always in the company of the Son of God. Now again, Acts is about the same Jesus and His work as the Gospels. He's not physically, visibly present, but He's present by His Spirit. But He's no less present. He's with them in Lydda. He's with them in Joppa. He's here to see you, church, today. To know you. To care for you. To assure you. To keep His promises to you. To comfort you. To respond to your prayers. To envelop you in His love. To sustain you. To guide you. To save you. To keep you. To protect you. He's here, church. He is by his spirit as really next to you as the person that you're touching shoulders with right now. It's no less. Now there's a distinction, and we'll come to that in just a second. But but you you <coughs> if you had you think of if you'd have been one of those who witnessed that, you would live with this really conscious awareness of the presence of Christ, and it would change the way you think. In the way you live, and the way you walk through hard times, and the way you face temptations, it would change things, and it should change things for us. Jesus is here with us; He's by your side. This is what it means to believe in Him—to know He is here with you now. Now, true enough, this is the distinction I—I I realize: belief, faith, however strong it is, it is is not and cannot be the same as sight. So, I'm not saying there's no distinction. Paul will remind us that we walk by faith. We live by faith, not by sight. We must wait for sight. Church, sight is coming. Praise the Lord. But it's not here yet. And there's a difference, for sure, between faith and sight. To trust in the presence of Jesus Christ, whom we cannot see with our physical eyes, is to put us in the situation maybe to compare it to a blind, blind man who's cut off from the world because he can't see it. And so but but no one doubts that that blind man knows that the world is really there. Why? Because he has evidence in of that in thousands and tens of thousands of other ways of what he can hear and see and, or and hear and touch and smell and and there's all of these evidences that this world is here. He just can't see it. And so it is with Christ, church. We can't see Him. It doesn't mean He isn't there. there those long ago miracles remind us of the fact and, and assure us that, he's, he, that Jesus who was in Lydda and Joppa is equally here in Jonesboro and Fayetteville. And if so, then it's ours to live accordingly, church. To hope accordingly. To trust accordingly. To walk accordingly. He's here. He's always here. The Lord Jesus in His glory and in His power and in His grace and in His love He's always with us. No matter what you're walking through in your life. No matter what we walk through as a church. No matter what the coming days and weeks and months hold. Christ is present and He is working. And I don't mean with the physical building. I mean with you brother and sister, friends, you are friends. I don't know what decisions you'll make, the Lord is with you. The Lord will bless you. We have a bright future, an eschatologically bright future, church. And He is working in ways we don't often understand, and He's working through really screwed up instruments, self-included. And there have been and there will be mistakes along the way. And we've got to own those. There will be not just mistakes, there will be sins. And we have, a, we have a Savior who stands ready to forgive and ready to help. And He is able to turn seemingly impossible, difficult and dark circumstances in ways that, as we see here, lead many to turn to Him in faith. And the church can be multiplied. It's not always in the way we want. It's not in the ways we always pictured. It's not always in the ways we dreamed or imagined or hoped. It's not looking that way for this pastor. I can tell you that. But I have confidence in Christ. And I beg you to as well with whatever we're walking through. Let me pray. Lord, we beg you for the mercy to to have hearts that are, are... are tethered to what is true and what is unshakable and what is certain no matter what we walk through. We we pray for that mercy to cling to Christ, but we thank you mostly for the mercy that Christ, you're clinging to us. That's our hope. And so... I know there's a lot of questions and a lot of hurts and a lot of sadness and a lot of frustrations and anger. And, but I, I pray, Father, that no matter what the days and weeks hold, that our, this common confession, we can, we can cling to this together. Is we, we trust Christ and we know, Jesus, that you're present and you're working. And that promise you stood on that rock and, in what seemed like a place that there's no way in the world. The gospel could penetrate and you declared, I'll build my church and nothing's going to stop. So help us to cling to Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen.